Well, good morning and welcome to this morning's service. I'm Charles and uh, this is a service from Grace Baptist Church Wood Green. Again, it's a real encouragement to be here, to be able to preach and it's good to see you, even though some of you I've not seen for a little while. I look forward to doing so. Like I was mentioning to Brother David, this is one of the first times of which I'll be preaching in two subsequent Sundays and it's really been on one hand a great uh, privilege to do so but really uh, being in tune with the, the, the ministry heart that I will talk about today and also the pastor's burden uh, so we continually pray for those who labour in preaching and teaching please do not uh, uh, grow weary in praying for those who, who labour uh, for your sake uh, in the name of Christ. Uh, let me pray for us before we now open God's word. Heavenly and gracious Father, Lord, we ask you, Father, to be with us this morning as we open your word. Lord, we have been wearied much by uh, different uh, events throughout the week, uh, difficulties both locally and uh, nationally and across the globe, uh, things that have made our, our hearts be, 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 be weighed down and just be cast down low. Lord, may you pick us up. May you encourage us by your word this morning. May we see more of Christ and in so doing, see how we are to respond to uh, life's complexities, life's uh, troubles and uh, everyday sufferings that we uh, experience as a, a people and specifically as those who are seeking to serve you and love you. Father, I ask might you open your word this morning, might you open my mouth that I may proclaim your word with clarity and truth. Uh, may you open the hearts and the ears of those who are uh, listening this morning that they may receive it uh, like a refreshing uh, water uh, whilst in, in, a, in a dry, dry plain. And may you refresh us all. Uh, with the uh, ever-refreshing, quenchful uh, nature of your word. Help us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May I ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians and chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians and chapter 2. Uh, if you'll recall, if you're with us last week, we had uh, begun uh, to look into the first chapter as uh, Paul had given us a great view of what it means to be a local church, what the marks of a local church uh, would look like. And we honed in quite specifically there in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. These were the three things that would mark a healthy church, a church that worked in faith, a church that was steadfast in hope and labored in love for one another. This morning, uh, as we focus a little bit more on that last point, the labor of love, as a way of reminder, we said uh, and concluded that uh, when we have put our faith in Jesus Christ and we have experienced his spirit giving us that steadfastness of hope, 
It wouldn't make us passive and selfish. Rather, it would motivate us to actively give his love away to other people who desperately need it. Firstly, in the house of Christ with people who believe and trust in him, but widely. You know, the labour of love isn't just directed at Christians. But the labour of love from the Thessalonians, which caught Paul's eye, was that they were telling people about Christ. They were telling people about Christ and it had gone so far as to, to reach him, not just through Timothy with whom he sent, but word across Macedonia and Achaia. Today, we'll be reading from uh, uh, second, uh, the second chapter in 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we want us to hone in more specifically, looking really at a, a case study, not just of the words of working in faith, being steadfast in hope, laboring in love, but how that actually manifests itself to us as individuals. And we'll jump right in as we see Paul himself being a clear example of that lived out. I'm going to read the first 12 chapters of uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and I would encourage you to join with me. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labour and toil. We worked night and day that you might not be a burden, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. A really wonderful 
text there as we see a, a, a real almost defense given by the Apostle Paul of his own ministry conduct. He said there with confidence how he lived and worked among those in Thessalonica. The man Paul himself was uh, once a hater of Jesus and Christianity, but after encountering Jesus, his own life was completely transformed, becoming one of the greatest evangelists the church has ever known. Traveling across the Roman Empire far and wide and sharing the good news of Jesus. We saw as we reflected in uh, uh, Acts chapter 17 how he visited Thessalonica, a city with a, a very crucial gospel location, an important region that was very, very diverse and uh, regionally pluralistic. People worshipped many gods there. But in that book of Acts, we read about how Paul's time in Thessalonica began from going, uh, spending three Sabbath days in the synagogues, reasoning with the Jews, sharing the gospel, and how he there confirms that during the week he would work, i.e. make tents for his own living to support himself. Some believed, but we know that some hated. Some started a riot. And Paul and his companions were thrust out as insurrectors. But out of Paul's ministry, this church, this important church, was founded. Obviously, Paul couldn't stay there, but concerned about the welfare of God's people, he sends uh, the young Timothy to uh, go and visit them and uh, to see how they're faring. He writes this letter to encourage them as a, a response to the report that Timothy gives. He writes this letter to encourage them and how to deal with some of the issues in the church. But obviously, as we saw, he began by outlining just how encouraged he was to hear of their faith, to hear of their hope, and to hear about how their love is continually being manifested by how they share Jesus Christ. This morning, I want us to look more specifically at Paul's ministry and what that can teach us about how we, as members of local churches, ought to have our own ministerial evangelistic outlook, be continually challenged, be continually encouraged and propelled forward. Sharing the gospel is without doubt the most important aspect of our lives. Telling other people about Jesus Christ and they may come to faith is the greatest expression of love anyone can give. Because it looks not just onto the present circumstances that people might, might be in, but that future hope of glory. Looking there in the first uh, two verses, what we see there is Paul's boldness. What does Paul say there in the first two verses of chapter 2? For you yourselves know, 
brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. That's the first way that Paul himself shared the gospel. He was bold even when it was difficult. He was bold even when it was hard. And it is hard. Not just a couple of days ago, as, uh, as we met for our Thursday prayer meeting, uh, Pastor Ryan, after um, returning from his holiday, sought to uh, talk to us about our own individual gospel opportunities and how we might pray for one another. Someone shared their, their own uh, um, well difficulty and how they felt about not being bold and sharing the gospel in that particular instant. Very encouraging. How he, 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 he knew and felt inside of himself that he ought to have uh, done better there. And we prayed. We prayed for us all because it's, it's, it's something that's apparent for all of us. Gospel opportunities are, are far and wide as the Lord Jesus Christ says that the, the fields are plentiful with harvest. How often are we seeing opportunities and they're just going and being spurned? We must pray and continually pray that with these opportunities that the Lord presents to us, that we capitalize on them. We must think rightly about it. Paul says that our coming to you was not in vain. It's an interesting statement and we'll come back to that. But then he begins to list problems he had in Philippi. And we know in Acts chapter 16, he and his co-worker uh, Silas were insulted, attacked by a mob, publicly stripped and beaten by rods with many blows. They were thrown in prison and had their feet tightly fastened in the stocks, all of which was a violation of the rights that Paul had as a Roman citizen. And that was even before they had got here to Thessalonica. When they showed up, they had been probably weakened by the, the, the numerous beatings that they had. And within a short time, they encountered strong opposition again. Unsavory characters started a riot and went looking for Paul and his friends. And they had, they had no choice but to flee the city in the, mid, in the middle of the night in the cover of darkness. Difficulty, suffering. Well, I don't know about you, but as they fled, maybe they might have, in the midst of their soreness and their tiredness and their frustration, they might have been forgiven for even thinking, you know what, as Paul talks to Silas, you know, this might not be the easiest line of work that we've ever chosen. Maybe we ought to focus more on uh, building tents rather than this gospel ministry because it continually results in, in, in danger for us. But that wasn't Paul's heart. Paul says that he had boldness 
in our God to declare to you, the Thessalonians, the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. When we learn from Paul, when we learn from this real example, we will share the gospel with much more boldness, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. You see, boldness was a prerequisite of the results that Paul had ever experienced. If he had been bold, then the Thessalonians, so if he hadn't have been bold, then the Thessalonians wouldn't have been heard the gospel. If he hadn't been bold, his life wouldn't have been fruitful. All the things that Paul lists in this passage, the approval of God, the close fatherly relationship he had with Thessalonians, would never be true. If he had not been bold, if we're going to be fruitful, we're going to have to learn to be bold, even when it's difficult. So I often feel like I'm, I, I, I'm preaching to myself and I'm only just speaking out loud because it's a real truth that I need to know. We must be bold, even when it's difficult. But where does it come from? Where do we find this boldness? Well, Paul himself actually spells it out for us. Verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God. It wasn't boldness in himself. It wasn't boldness in his uh, 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 ability with rhetoric. It wasn't boldness in his strength as a man to overcome physical op opposition. It was the rock-solid confidence that God was so real, that God was so powerful, so wise, and so utterly committed to doing good all for the sake of his name. That he knew, Paul knew, nothing could separate him from that love. I don't know about you, but I know the missing piece in my life, especially when it gets hard, is this boldness. And it crosses even further on than sharing the gospel. Boldness in our family life, boldness in our relationships, boldness at work. The boldness that comes to, to do what we know would honour God first begins by seeing God for who he truly is. And when there's opposition, and I'm not just talking about the opposition that Paul faced, it's easy for us to clam up. It's easy for us to tighten up and say, it's not about the gospel. It's something else and finding a reason why we ought not to be bold. You know, we don't want to upset people. We don't want to cause a scene. We don't want to uh, 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 trivialize the relationships that we've already built up. The reality though is that when we think that way, there lies a deeper problem. And that problem is comfort. 
We all have it. Again and again, we become comfortable. We become comfortable by, with, with human approval. We become comfortable with human praise. We become comfortable with our, our money and our comforts uh, across, the, across the wide spectrum of things. That's exactly why we don't speak up sometimes. The things that we value are so uh, important for us that we don't risk it. We must often, without fail, look at that pearl of great price. One preacher puts it very well as he says, so at least two things have to happen inside, inside of us if we are to be bold. We have to get free from the need of human acceptance and praise. And we have to get free from the need of comforts and securities that money can buy. If we are free, we will be bold. Paul had his approval from God. He did not need human approval. He had his future in God. So no human threats could ever stop his courage. You see, the key to boldness is looking to God more and more. The more we look to God, our human needs for, uh, our need for human approval, our need for human praise, our delight in comfort will diminish more and more. As he increases, we decrease. Everything that we hold of value and worth outside of the Lord Jesus Christ begins to pale in comparison the more we look at his beauty. If our lives aren't going to be in vain, and if we're going to be fruitful, and I mean fruitful and effective in advancing the gospel across the Lord's kingdom, we're going to need to be bold. And that boldness must begin and have its root in God. And that's just not wide uh, words. Let's think practically. What must we do? Firstly, we need to ask God for it. That is boldness. Paul himself prayed in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, that they would that, that asked that the people would pray for him, that they would declare boldly as he ought to speak. Pray to God that he would give you boldness. Ask others to pray in your life. Boldness isn't some sort of personality trait. It has grown as we look to God and prize him more than anything else. Every time you're not bold, try to figure out what happened. Figure out what you were trusting in that very moment more than God. Human approval, comfort, money. We confess those things to God and others and ask God to help us in overcoming it. First way we learn to be more effective in sharing the gospel is being bold and praying for boldness. 
Another way we can help ourselves in being more effective in sharing the gospel, and this one hits quite home quite well, is sharing the gospel honestly. Sharing the gospel honestly. Honesty in our gospel proclamation pleases God. Paul tells us this in verse 3. For God in the midst of, uh, uh, for God in the, uh, for our appeal, sorry, does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And we see in our, this passage that motive is a very big deal. Paul focuses on three ways that our, our motive our motive uh, directs our ministry. Firstly, it's the message itself. The message was true. Our appeal does not spring from error. Secondly, the motives were above board. His appeal didn't spring from impurity, you know, something that is immorally dirty. The motives weren't about financial gain or people pleasing. They were about the people that they were seeking to reach with God's, God's, uh, God's gospel. And the methods themselves were honest. He says that he avoided any attempt to deceive. He didn't use underhanded rhetoric or tricks to manipulate the audience as we often see in, in wider culture today. No, Paul lived so that his whole life and ministry was above board. People could make whatever accusations they wanted against him, but it sure would not be diff have been difficult to say anything about his integrity. So important for us in a world of, 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 of fakes, of people pretending to be something and being something else. Many products are designed to imitate the real thing. They make like, like plastic flooring look like wood. Vinyl flooring that appears to look like a ceramic tile in a bathroom. You can purchase fake shoes, fake fur, fake jewellery. You could have yourself worked on by a, a, a surgeon to make your face look fake and have fake hair and all sorts of things that aren't the true reflection of yourself. You know, one of the worst is spray on tan. People have they won't go somewhere where it's nice and hot and sunny to get their tan. They don't even have the decency to go to a tanning salon and sit under one of the, deck, the decks for a while. They spray it on. One of the most devious products. But what we can learn about Paul's virtue is that he was real. He was real in such a way that he can say, you saw, I was there for you to see. 
When we are real, our lives match the message. When our lives match the message, we will be a lot more effective in sharing the gospel. I'm sure you've probably heard of the Billy Graham, the American evangelist who uh, he became my, my hero, uh, uh, one of the heroes of mine as uh, when I remember seeing an interview uh, with him and the uh, agnostic uh, uh, Woody Allen. And it was estimated that he preached to over two billion people during his ministry which would mean that he's preached to more people in person than anyone in the history of Christianity. But one thing he's also known for was his integrity. As early as 1947, him and his campaign team went to a motel in Modesto, California to discuss the pitfalls faced by people in the, in the revivalist culture at the time. And they identified four issues. The misuse of money, sexual immorality, exaggeration of results, and criticism of other ministers. And they resolved that they would conduct regular financial audits. They would never travel or dine alone with a woman outside of their families. They would rely on independent confirmation of attendance in their meetings and emphasize areas of agreement rather than disagreement. I read the other week in a, uh, something that I was preparing how at one point he checked into a hotel and his team would pull out the, the cords of the, uh, the TVs in the room they would make sure that they covered the cost for the damages. But it was, it was something very extreme, but it explained that they would be seeking to maintain their integrity and avoid the temptation to watch things of adult content or an adult nature. You know, doing such a thing, might, in many ways, is quite extreme. But the underlying principle is a good one. When people look at our lives, they have to see that our lives match the message of the gospel. This doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we are pursuing integrity. And we repent and turn whenever we fall short. And a God who is faithful and merciful will forgive us. Paul's message Motives and methods were all above board. We ought to learn to share the gospel as honestly as he did. It's absolutely vital, absolutely vital that some of you find someone whose life of boldness and honesty is there for you to see and that you can model. Too often I hear of people who struggle in their Christian witness because they may be the only Christians in their families. They may be the first generation Christians in their families. Something will come to them is how we need to be to find someone who can lovingly be like a parent 
and give us an example. You must find someone. This is why doing Christianity at home is so dangerous. You know, we have ministers who we regularly see on YouTube, uh, you know, John Piper, John MacArthur, men of God who proclaim the word. But they can't be gentle with you like a father with a child. They cannot nurse you like a mother with an infant. We need what Paul is talking about here. An example, not just of boldness, but of honesty and integrity. But an example that is tangible, that we can see, that we can model, that we can be an example of. If you don't have that in your life, you must seek it. That's why we need the local church. And that obviously leads me on to my final point. We've been trying to learn from Paul's example. And we've learned that we can be more effective in sharing the gospel by being bold and honest. But here's one more way we can learn to be more effective in gospel ministry. Sharing the gospel lovingly. Lovingly through our lives as well as our words. You've heard the, the statement, uh, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. And a lot can be said about the misunderstanding of the nature and the context of, of what the gospel itself actually is. But there is a lot to be said for lovingly having our lives being a product or a manifestation of what we believe in the gospel as a statement. Paul says there in verse 7 through to 12, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother talking to her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. What a statement. How many people can you say to that you were witnesses about how holy and righteous and blameless was my conduct amongst you? If you can't, you ought to think deeply about it. Ask God to grant us repentance in that, that we might strive to live, live holy, righteous, blameless lives amongst the people with whom we serve for and, and, and amongst. I'm really glad that we're finishing on this one. It would be easy for me to stop and say, yeah, to share the gospel, we must be bold and honest. 
but we will be missing a very key ingredient that is absolutely necessary. If we're going to be uh, effective in sharing the gospel, we need to be ready to share our own selves, as Paul says there in verse 8. We're not just sharing the gospel, we're sharing ourselves. We're opening up our lives to the people. That's why I, I've been so enjoying and uh, being challenged by uh, when, when me and, and the men in the church here in Woodgreen meet for not just our Bible study, boldly and honestly proclaiming the word of God and sharing with one another, but also being accountable to one another, sharing not just the word, but our very lives. John Piper captures it well, where he says the gospel flourishes when people share their own souls. Where the gospel flourishes is where people are encountering the truth of the gospel, wrestling with the spiritual issues and coming to faith. It's because people aren't sharing just the gospel and that they're sharing their lives also, that lives outside of that are being impacted. And I find that very challenging. It's easy to hand out tracts. It's easy to hand out literature and books use easy in inverted commas because sometimes it's not easy but the premise is easy you can be very distant from someone with whom you're handing out a tract to a faithful service nonetheless but when it comes to sharing our lives in the gospel aside from all the good things of tracts and books and banners Aside from all that, very little comes alongside the sharing of ourselves in the gospel. And that might just mean our time, devoting that one-on-one -on -one discipleship time. I remember a brother who had been serving as, a, as an evangelist telling me just how fruitful it was to meet with his co-workers and just read the Bible and talk about it together. There was no, uh, as Paul says, no, no rhetoric, no uh, um, ulterior motives, but I'm going to read the Bible in the morning. You're free to come and join with me. And if you have any questions, we can just talk about them. And this is in his workplace. You have not shared the gospel when you've just shared information. It involves much more. I mean, look at the language that Paul uses there. Like a, a nursing mother in verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. Later on there in verse 11, he says, For you know how like a father with his children. Think about what that would have been like. It would have involved patience, nurturing, encouraging, comforting, 
and exalting. It would have involved being an example. It would have been hard work. It's much more than information. It's sharing our own lives. A friend earlier, just a couple of days ago, uh, he's a teacher and he's getting prepared to return to school. And I see that, you know, as he's been tweeting uh, throughout the summer, his tweets have become more and more discouraged as his mind reflects on returning back to work. And uh, I don't feel any sympathy for him. I've been working throughout. Teachers have been having a good old jolly up, staying at home. Uh, but he shared a, a sport, short video of um, a mother trying to teach her son, or uh, I think it could have been a son, but it could have been a daughter as well, but you don't see them, but trying to teach her uh, uh, how to count. So you've got the bears that are lined up and one bear, and I mean that is number one, two bears, number two, three bears, number three, and so on and so forth. And she's there, you know, I'll use my son as an example. So she's like, Ezzy, how many bears do you have there? That's what the first one easy. One. All right. Ezzy, now this one. How many bears do you have here? One, two, three, four. No, no, Ezzy. You see there, how, there's, there's bears there. Count them. How many bears can you see there? One. No, 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 we've done the one already. Bezzy, how many bears? One, two, and you just see it. Just snatch the table with a thing away, just throw it all away. And in the caption, uh, my friend Femi then says, um, <laughs> uh, parents can now maybe understand what it's like to be a teacher. And that's been a useful tool. Uh, throughout this lockdown, uh, parents have had to become teachers. A lot of homeschooling has taken place and they've had to have developed the same kind of patience that teachers have had to develop whilst at school. This is the patience that Paul talks about. A, a mother nursing a child, waiting for that child to, to latch on, uh, to, 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 to be fed and the struggles of that and rather than just, oh, give up and, and send the baby away so the baby doesn't eat, she, she perseveres, she waits, she continues. The father who is trying to teach his son, I don't know, how to ride a bike or, 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 or play basketball, or kick a football. You don't just kick the ball away as soon as the child doesn't grasp it. You, you're patient with them. You're nurturing. You try different tricks. You try different things to help them to understand. When I think about those who have impacted my life outside of my, my pastor at the moment, I think about those who gave up much more than just a message. People like Pastor Barry, serving in Dunstable, Pastor Sony, serving in Southall, people who have cared for me and loved me and encouraged me and built on me. And I bet it's the same for you. Where the gospel flourishes, people share their own souls. Before I came to Christ and I was in the midst of the dead Roman Catholic religion, even there, 
I came to know more and more of God's word because two priests, Father, Father John McKenna and Father Michael, took me in under their wing. They showed me more of their own lives. And I believe, I know that the Lord used this as steps towards me hearing the gospel. What does effective gospel ministry look like? People opening up their lives outside, outside of just the information. And I say just the information as if it's something trivial. It's not. But the, the word of God as it's proclaimed in the gospel flourishes, manifests itself in our life and other people can see that, can taste that, can eat that. Sometimes we think that effective ministry is going to take someone more gifted, more skilled than we are. When we look at Paul's life, we see that some of the traits that made him effective are the kind of traits that God can grow in anyone. If you've heard nothing else this morning, I want you to hear this. Share the gospel boldly, honestly, and lovingly. When we see how much grace God has lavished on us and what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection, when we see how he desires us by the power of his spirit to respond, how could our response not be one of boldness integrity and love as we look to the gospel the gospel will help us to grow in our courage in our honesty and in our love let's pray gracious and heavenly father lord i thank you for paul's example in his ministry Thank you for taking someone who was opposed to Jesus and turning him into one of the greatest evangelists of all time. It's all you're doing. It's all your grace. It's all your mercy. Lord, I pray that you would use us and you would use your people here. Give us boldness, give us honesty, and give us the, the love of Jesus Christ. That that might be the springboard for us to boldly and honestly and lovingly proclaim that good news to a dying and struggling world. As we have prayed for more gospel opportunities, Lord, prepare us that we might approach them with the same loving, bold and honest mindset that the Apostle Paul had. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.